Yeah? That's amazing technology that if you put it too near, it cuts out. In my experience, microphones get louder the nearer they get to your mouth, but this one gets louder the further away. So if we put it over at the back, it would be booming. It'd be... Does that strike anybody else as strange? I love what you've done with the place. I imagine people, a lot of people are saying that, I guess, when they come here. Yeah? I'm just not an original line. I abs- it's amazing. It feels so much more, like, I don't know, alive, and you don't feel like you're sort of rattling around, but it's just brilliant. And I was introduced to the new layout behind there by Paul. I was standing down here where this guy's sitting, right next to that partition, and I said to Paul, which way is it to the loos? He said, oh, over that way. So I walked from there, right the way along there, and round the way there. In the meantime, Paul walked from where I was standing, round the short corner, and got there first. I thought, how infantile is that? But, well, I know my way around here, and you don't. I just thought it was bizarre. But anyway, so I'm still learning the new layout. Um, but I love, I love the building. It's just fantastic. And I'm actually very excited about being here because of... What I'm going to talk about today, which, I don't know, that's probably the only jokes you'll get. I, this is, I'm not going to, other than that, start with the introductory joke or funny story. I'm talking about a very serious subject, which I, I spoke to the leaders about. They, many of them were at Movement, um, the men's event, and just said that it would be helpful to touch on this issue again in a Sunday context, because it might not be something we often talk about in the church. I want to talk about sexuality and the gospel. I want to talk really about how the gospel affects gay people and how we think about issues of sexuality in the culture we live in as related to by the Gospel. I wonder if you've got your Bible, do you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? And we're just going to read three verses from 1 Corinthians 6, and I want to talk about sexuality and the Gospel. That's my title for this morning. How the Gospel affects gay people and lesbians and bisexuals and transgender people. And knowing the size of the room, I know there will be people in here for whom that is part of your present or past experience. And there will be many, many people in here for whom if it isn't true for you, that is true for somebody in your family or a colleague or a close friend. And I think it's something that's very important for us to think through biblically and just understand how does Jesus fit with gay people? And how do we think about the relationship between the Christian gospel and discipleship and human sexuality and particularly people who are, who are gay or lesbians and so on, how do we think about that? And I just want to summarise the Gospel just in case anybody's unclear on what I mean even by that word so that we're on a, the right starting point. The Gospel, quite straightforwardly with, related to this issue, is that God loves people and that God hates sin, but that God loves people enough to solve the problem of sin. Sin is a huge problem. There is no sin so small that it doesn't put an eternal barrier between you and God. There's nothing that God just goes, oh, well, that doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. Any sin is a travesty against the, against the holy God, the kind of God we've been singing to. Any act of rebellion or defiance against him that says, I don't want to follow you, I want to be my own God, all of those are enough to separate us from God. But, though sin is a huge problem, the love of God goes further still. The gospel is a bigger solution than sin is a big problem, and therefore God in the gospel, by the death of Jesus, his son on our behalf, takes all of that uncleanness on himself, dies in order to take the punishment for it, and then gives us his perfect righteousness, as we heard so clearly during that talk, and during the, during the worship, and then in his resurrection life, gives us the power to overcome any sin that we would walk in. Well, that matters when you're talking about issues of sexuality. Because you're dealing with a God who has dealt with, made a provision to deal with all sin and given his resurrection life and his Holy Spirit to help all of us overcome any type of lifestyle we could live in defiance against God. And that would be right across the spectrum from things we think are huge. How could you get forgiven of that? How could anyone forget Adolf Hitler for that? Right the way down through to things that we think are very trifling, very little. Like the way I lost my temper with my son this morning before I came. 
I just think God has made a provision to forgive all human sinfulness against him in the gospel. But for a lot of people, it isn't that simple when it comes to being gay. That's just my observation of people in the church and in the world. It doesn't look like the thing I've just said about the gospel and the way God relates to human beings, it doesn't seem that simple when it comes to issues of being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, which from now on I'll just call being gay. GLBT is the kind of preferred term, you know, four letters, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. I'll just say gay, but you know what I mean. People, all of these sexual issues being contained within that one phrase. And, And a lot of people would feel like that's an exception. That if you're, actually if you're gay or a lesbian, that, that puts, that's, a, that's an exception to the principle I've just expressed, which is that God loves you and that you've sinned and that Jesus died to make you right with him and that now he gives you his resurrection life to live in freedom. And some might say, well, no, I, many would say, that's, it's not that simple when it comes to being gay. For gay people who aren't Christians, of which I know there are many in Hastings, it can often feel like being gay is something that puts a permanent barrier between them and God, if not certainly them and the church. I'd say, the fact that I'm gay is a deal-breaker for me, or for you. It might mean that this is the thing that's going to stop me getting to your God. I like the idea, you talk about Jesus and unconditional love, but the fact is, I know I'm gay, and that puts a permanent barrier between me and you. That's a lot of people would say that, or think like that. They might not express it as nicely, they might well express it very nicely, but that is a common perception amongst gay people who aren't Christians, of whom there may well be some in the room today. And so I want to talk to you. I want to help share where Jesus fits with that question and that understanding. For Christians, on the other hand, a lot of Christians can actually have exactly the same response, that there is an unbridgeable chasm between God and gay people. A lot of Christians can think there are gay people who are miles away from God and there are straight people like me who are very close to God and that's wonderful. And I'm so glad that I'm straight but I'm not gay. A lot of Christians can think like that. And for Christians who are struggling with your sexuality, of which, again, I know in the size of room, you would be amazed, because I've done it before, if I got you all to shut your eyes at the end of this talk and said how many people in this room are struggling or have struggled with their sexuality, i.e. they face temptation towards people of their own sex sexually, you would be amazed how many people in this room would have their hands up. And I know there would be, because I've done it before. And I know the, the distribution. So you will find that actually a lot of people here will be struggling with those issues or will have struggled with those issues. And for you, it can feel like that is the unforgivable or unredeemable thing about you. Yes, fine, he lost his temper with his son this morning. That's easy to forgive. He did this, he did that, that she did that. That's forgivable. But this thing, this temptation I have to be attracted to people of my own gender, that is unredeemable. That's a permanent barrier. Every time you come into church, you think, well, it's all very well for all of them, but for me, there's just a gap between me and a holy God because of this thing. In other words, whether you're a Christian or not, and whether you're straight or gay, a lot of people will feel like there is a huge difference between all other types of human struggle and the issue of sexuality. That is the one, for many people, that puts a barrier between you and God. And therefore, I want to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, to and I want to point out something that's absolutely critical from it, and then ask five questions that are very common that come up on this issue today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived... Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't you know? Don't be deceived. There are the people who live their lives characterised by this kind of sin don't inherit the kingdom. And a lot of you were like that. But then God washed you and made you different. But it's interesting that that list of sins doesn't begin with or even build up to people who practice homosexuality. It begins with a list of, it has a whole list of things that many of us might regard as a little bit trifling. You're greedy? Anybody here know people who are greedy? Somebody in your life group or home group who's greedy? You come across them before? No, you never, no such thing as greed in Hastings, I'm sure. You, you just think, well, that for Paul is in the same, that's in the same list. Swindlers? Anybody know anybody who's, any Christian who's ever fiddled their taxes? Who's ever said, actually, I won't declare that? Yeah, yeah, I know. If I, don't, if I walk through the nothing to declare aisle rather than the to declare aisle, I'll get away with it. You know, this is the swindlers. Liars, cheats. People who say, you, do you cheat? I used to cheat a lot when I played games until I realised how serious it was. I just, used to, I just used to enjoy games more when I won. It's awful, but I did. And I was in here. But do you know what? I, never once did I walk into church and just feel, this che- I am a cheater. That's my identity. And now, because of that, there's an inseparable barrier between me and God. I never used to feel that. Yet somehow, for this one item on the list, men who practice homosexuality, suddenly people can feel that. I don't think it's valid. I don't think that's the way Paul expects us to respond to this issue. God would say, all of you were living in lives of rebellion and violent rebellion against God. Hatred of God. I don't want to be governed by him. I want to be my own God. I want to, that's idolatry. I will worship Andrew. It's all about me, Andrew. And that's how I live like that. And then, sorry, that's, for those who don't know, that's a song we used to sing a few years ago. And it's got lines that make it very difficult to get right which way round it is. So you quite often find yourself, it's not about you, me, it's all about you, me. Have you done that? You get the, which one is it, me, you? And you think, oh no, am I going to be struck down? Anyway, it was a song like that. But actually we live that way and we live as if we're God and then, Paul says, for all of, that manifests itself in dozens of ways. Your sexuality and your thought life and your, the life of your money to do with greed and your life to do with your friendships and relationships, all of them are corrupted by this decision you've made to make you your own God. And such were some of you, Corinthians, you were like this, and then God washed you and made you new. In other words, there's no type of sin that God thinks is too small to bother caring about, but there's no type of sin that God thinks is too big to wash you from and redeem you from. And that's important. It's important because when we come to this issue of sexuality, we've got to start with where Scripture comes from on it and not be shaped by some of the ways that it might be framed in our culture and even in the church. So I'm going to ask five questions and work through them one at a time that often come up with respect to this issue in the church today and I hope to serve you just to help us think this one through and just to help understand how the gospel 